Our focus passage this morning is going to be in 2 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9. You can turn there in your Bibles. We'll get there in a few moments. It, I was happy that Randy Adams had the sense to recognize what an extraordinary gift we have in those who lead us in worship music. Uh, ladies, we appreciate you so much, so much. A word from your pastor search committee this morning. Uh, we greatly appreciate the attention that you invested in the surveys that we distributed a couple weeks ago. We've collected all those now. We're processing them, reading through them. Uh, we'll prepare a brief report for you uh, that contains what we think are the key takeaways from those surveys. That should be available in two or three weeks. Many of you wrote in the surveys that you're praying for us, and we appreciate that very much. Uh, your prayers and your love and the encouragement that you're, that you're expressing to the committee uh, means everything uh, as we all go through this, this time of transition here in our church. Now, on to work. Ninth grade science. These are all the different kinds of light waves that there are. The ones that we're the most familiar with are the ones in the middle because when those light waves hit things, then we can see the things. That's visible light. This morning, let's think about microwaves and we're going to set aside microwave ovens. We're going to think about other implementations of microwaves. So all of these waves are invisible. We can't see light waves waving. Micro, with microwaves, not only are the waves invisible, but the effects are invisible. So let's pretend this morning that we changed your eyes. Let's pretend that we rigged your eyes so, so that you could actually see microwaves waving like you would see waves on water. So we give you these new eyes and we say, go look around and bring us back a report. So you look around in here, you look around outside, you look around at home, and you come back and you say, it was overwhelming, it's bewildering, there are too many microwaves. Our environment is flooded with microwaves. Why is that? Because in the wireless communication age in which we live, we use microwaves to send all that information back and forth. So think about it, uh, cell phones and cell phone towers, television broadcast signals, satellite communications, uh, the wireless internet routers that we have in our houses, in our businesses. We, uh, we are surrounded by a world of information all the time, and we can't see it. We can't physically sense it. We're surrounded by a world of information that we cannot physically sense. So that's a model for us this morning. The electromagnetic spectrum is a model of a deep spiritual truth. Our life in Christ occurs in an eternal spiritual reality that is invisible, a reality that we can't see or touch. But, it's, but that's the reality that we inhabit this morning as we come to worship God together. And that's the reality that we share with each other as our relationship with God as the body of Christ unfolds. So our lives are really, really an interplay of two realities, temporary visible physical reality and eternal invisible spiritual reality. 
I'll use those labels umpteen times in our discussion this morning, and you're going to grow tired of hearing all those syllables and trying to keep straight which reality is which. So we're going to use abbreviations. Temporary, visible, physical reality, that's reality one. Eternal, invisible, spiritual reality, that's reality two. So reality one, you can see it. You can touch it. Reality two, it's invisible. It's invisible, but it's eternal. Now, those two realities are vividly contrasted in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. It's not our focus passage, but it sets us up for our focus passage. So this is, second, I said first, 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The things that we can see are temporary. The things that we cannot see, those are eternal. Now we're ready for our focus passage. So back up a chapter. Second uh, Corinthians 3, we're going to do verses 1 through 9. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because, the because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how shall the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're grateful to come this morning in your grace, in the presence and power of your Holy Spirit, under the shelter of your wing, to worship you and to share that experience with each other. Lord, we seek to learn more deeply this morning of the invisible reality that holds your relationship with us. And we pray that what you say to us today would, would become deeply embedded in our hearts, that you would be able to use it to conform us more to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, and to make us more capable and more able ambassadors for you as we live out our lives. We thank you again for your presence and for your love. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you. So today's journey will make four stops. The focus passage speaks about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So we'll do a quick review of the Old Covenant. We'll do a similar review of the New Covenant. The key issue this morning is God's glory. So we'll look specifically at the glory of the New Covenant. And then we'll finish by asking, how do we experience that glory? And how does it change us when we experience it? 
So, off we go. The Old Covenant. Five questions that we'll ask and answer. Number one, what is it? Uh, the most helpful descriptor I saw of the Old Covenant is that it's a package. When I think of the Old Covenant, the first thing I always think of is the Ten Commandments, and that's, that's kind of the centerpiece of it, but it's a package of Scripture that surrounds that. So you can find the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, the remainder of the book of Exodus, uh, portions in the book of Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, that forms the package, and what the package did, essentially, was to regulate virtually every aspect of life in the nation of Israel. Uh, behavior that could be regarded as criminal, behavior that was civil, ritualistic practices related to worship, sacrifices, cleansings, and more. It was a comprehensive package of Scripture that regulated the lives of the people. God spoke about the Old Covenant in Exodus 19, 3 through 6. This is Exodus 19, starting at verse 3. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, This is what you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So those were the words that God spoke to Moses as Moses was on the mountain. In verse 5, God says, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. You hear an if and a then. The old covenant was bilateral. It had actions that would be taken by God, and it had actions that would be taken by the people in response. So, in a nutshell, the Old Covenant. Next question, where was the Old Covenant lived out? Where was it transacted in the lives of the people? The Old Covenant was lived out in reality one. Not reality two, reality one. As the people sought to obey the stipulations of the Old Covenant, they did things with their hands and their feet, and those things were visible. What was the key attribute of the Old Covenant? The Old Covenant was very effective in teaching the people that they were sinners. Uh, in the focus passage, verses, in verses 6 through 9, Paul calls the Old Covenant the ministry of death and the ministry of condemnation. Uh, does that mean that, that God sought to condemn the people by implementing the covenant? No, the problem lay with the people. They couldn't hold up their end of the covenant. They couldn't be obedient. We can't be obedient. The New Testament teaches us that what the law is really good at is teaching us that we can't obey the law. So uh, while the old covenant placed a spotlight on the problem of sin, it didn't solve the problem of sin. Next question, what was the destiny of the Old Covenant? It faded away. Now, we need to be careful here. God's laws don't fade. Jesus spoke to this in Matthew 5 when he said, I've come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And in that same pas passage, he admonishes the people not to soft-pedal the law in their teaching. Moses taught that the law should be obeyed in the covenant for which he was a mediator, the old covenant. Jesus teaches that the law should be obeyed in the covenant for which he is a mediator, the new covenant. 
But what faded was that covenant agreement, uh, the agreement between God and the people about how their lives would, would be lived in the presence of God. Again, that was because of the problem of sin. And finally, fifth question. How was the glory of the old covenant experienced? It was visible. It was supernaturally visible in reality one. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 7 refers to Moses' face shining as he came down the mountain. We know that there was a pillar of fire, that God was visible in a cloud as he was leading the nation of Israel at that time. Old covenant glory was supernaturally visible in reality one. So, a quick look at the old covenant. Let's take a similar look at the new covenant. What is it? The centerpiece of the Old Covenant is the Ten Commandments. The core of the centerpiece of the New Covenant is the victory of Jesus Christ that provides justification by works, by faith, excuse me, and not by works. Justification by faith rather than by works. The New Covenant is not bilateral, it's unilateral. It's enacted with God's grace It's sealed with God's promises, and it's fulfilled not in what we do, but what has been done by Jesus Christ. It provides eternal redemption for humanity through faith. Now, there are many new passages that speak about the new covenant. One is Romans 5, 8 through 11. Let me share it with you. Romans 5, starting at verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also celebrate in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. The new covenant accomplishes the reconciliation between God and humanity that the old covenant could not accomplish and that's through the work of Jesus Christ and we are all the beneficiaries of that who's more blessed than us to be here at this time the the recipients of all that God has done to grant us salvation and eternity next question where is the new covenant lived out Reality one or reality two? You can guess. Reality two. The new covenant is lived out in God's eternal, invisible, spiritual reality. We can't see visibly. We can't touch physically the living out of it. But it's there. Jesus helps us understand this when he's talking about the commandments in Matthew 5 and then later in Matthew 22 and 23. In the Sermon on the Mount, paraphrasing, Jesus said, You've heard it said, Thou shalt not kill. But I tell you, if you think ill of a brother or sister, or you speak ill of a brother or sister, you violated the commandment. You have committed murder. So murder becomes not just a matter of the body in reality one. Murder becomes a matter of the heart in reality two. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, a difficult conversation. He said, 
he said, you look like you're doing the right things in reality, one. You're, you're making the right moves with your hands and feet to, to create the appearance of obedience, but your hearts are corrupt. Um, your, your hearts are contaminated. The Pharisees got it right in reality, one. In physical reality, in many respects, but they missed the mark wildly in reality, too, over this issue of the sin in their hearts. And then thirdly, in Matthew 22, in response to a question, Jesus identifies the first two commandments as the preeminent ones. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, strength, soul, and mind. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It is impossible to fully obey those commandments only in reality one, only by what we visibly do. Our love for God and how that affects our love for each other, those are matters of the heart. Those exist deeply in reality too. And so Jesus is telling us that's where the new covenant is lived out. That's where it happens in the reality that we cannot see. Next question, the key attribute of the new covenant. It solves the problem of sin. For who? For all who come to faith in Jesus Christ. For how long? For all of eternity. And again, that's through the work of Jesus. What is the destiny of the new covenant? Now, the old covenant faded away. The old covenant was replaced by a better covenant. The new covenant will not fade away. It is eternal. It is God's unilaterally imposed best gift to us for our salvation and for our eternity. The perfection of the new covenant means it will not be replaced by a better one. And then finally, how do we experience the glory of the new covenant? You can guess in reality too. The glory of the new covenant is expressed invisibly. So we need to pursue that for a few moments, a few moments because if you're like me, you might think, if new covenant glory exists invisibly, how do I, how do I see it? How do I experience it? How, how does it come to me? How does it affect me? Two things to say about that. The focus passage speaks of God's glory being reflected by the face of Moses as he came down from the mountain to the point that he had to be veiled when the people looked at him. Old covenant glory was reflected by the supernatural glow of Moses' face. New covenant glory is reflected by the glow of our hearts. It's reflected by the glow of our hearts in God's invisible reality. We see that in the focus passage in verses 2 and 3, where Paul's saying to the, to the Corinthians, we don't need physical letters. You are our letter. And you have been written by God, by the Holy Spirit, not on stone tablets, but on human hearts. That's God's work in the new covenant, and that's where the glory is visible. It's visible in the work of the heart. And, and we need to, people like me, who are fixated on what we can see and touch, we need to understand that deeply. It's stated beautifully in Jeremiah 31 through 33, a familiar passage. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. 
Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and write it on their heart. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Again, New covenant glory is not reflected by the supernatural glow of a human face. It's reflected by the glow of our hearts. The second thing that, that we should understand about new covenant glory is that it exceeds old covenant glory. Verses 7 through 9 in the focus passage make that clear. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3, starting at verse 7. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how shall the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? And if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. The new covenant abounds in glory. But for those of us who are fixated on what we can see and touch, that presents, uh, at, at least it brings to mind a question. Wasn't it more glorious to see Moses' veiled face or the pillar of fire? Uh, we Sometimes that's what we want. We want to see that supernatural, visible glory because it affirms our faith. Isn't it more powerful to see that shining face or to see the power of uh, the pillar of fire? The focus passage tells us that the answer to that question is unambiguously no. The glory of the new covenant is better. It's more powerful. It's stronger. How can that be? Three reasons. Undoubtedly, there are more. First of all, what happened to Moses eventually? He died. And at his passing, his ability to physically, supernaturally reflect God's glory, of course, ceased. New covenant glory doesn't cease. It doesn't fade. It's eternal. It's forever. Secondly, old covenant glory came and went. They saw Moses' shining face for a while, but not always. They saw the pillar of fire Sometimes, but not always. New covenant glory is not intermittent in our experience. It's ever-present, ever-present eternally. So if new covenant glory is eternal and it's ever-present, by those reasons alone, we would say it exceeds old covenant glory. And, but but here's, the, here's the thing. The more fixated I am on the reality I can see, the less I understand the nature of that glory in the reality that I cannot see. Thirdly, a heart is a harder thing to change than a face. Decades of life in reality one have taught me, if nothing else, that a heart is a hard thing to change. It's hard for people to change. It's hard for me to change. Let me ask you a question. What had to happen for God to change Moses' face? What had to happen for God to change Moses' face? Not much. 
As Moses came down the mountain, he was merely reflecting the nature, the power, the glory, the magnificence of God. God just had to make that visible. Turn a switch. What had to happen for God to change my heart? He had to send his son out of heaven, out of reality two, into reality one, where he walked with us for 30 years. He had to submit to being arrested, falsely accused, tortured, brutally killed on the cross, buried in a grave, where thankfully God raised him from the dead. That's what God had to do to change my heart. My heart was a slave to sin. Sin is a powerful enemy. For God to defeat sin, Christ had to go to the cross. So where is their greater glory? In the changing of the face or the changing of the heart? Manyfold, the changing of the heart. The sacrifice was greater, the glory is greater. So, we've looked at the old covenant we've looked at the new covenant we've looked at the glory of the new covenant let's finish by asking what does it mean for us to live in new covenant glory how does the glory of the new covenant change me and how does it change us as the body of christ three things we will see the glory of the new covenant as God works out his will in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. This is not in the focus passage. This is down at the end of chapter 3. Paul writes, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. With unveiled face, we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. This is how I think of it. Your eyes can only tolerate so much light. When Moses came down from the mountain, his face was shining so brightly with the glory of God in the physical realm that had the people looked at him full on, it would have blinded them. It would have ruined their eyes. Their eyes could not have tolerated that much light. We know what that's like. The, it, it physically hurts when we're exposed to light that's too bright. So the veil had to be there. The veil had to be there to protect the people's eyes. Our hearts, in reality too, are under no such limitation. That's what this verse says. Our hearts can tolerate all of the love and the glory and the power that God can pour into them. There's no veil that's necessary. There's no shield that's necessary. Our hearts can take it all because of what Jesus Christ has done in our hearts. And as we reflect that love and that glory to each other, we don't need shields, we don't need veils to look at each other. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. Secondly, we will see the glory of the new covenant in the love that we have for one another. 
Just look at the very first verse of the focus passage, verse 1 in chapter 3. Paul writes, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some, letters of commendation to you or from you? You can hear a little bit of tension in those words. You can read a little bit of tension into those words. And we know that Paul's relationship with the Corinthian church at times was a little bit tense. They struggled in obedience. They struggled in doctrine. Sometimes, as you read 2 Corinthians, you get the feeling that Paul was just looking at them and saying, you people are wearing me out. But what was greater than the wear was the triumph of God's love. So we hear a bit of tension in verse 1, but in verse 2, he says, "You you are our letter written in our hearts, and that work has been done by the Holy Spirit. Not written on on tablets of stone, but written on our hearts. In those words, you can hear the triumph of of God's love. It's the same for us. Family life is hard sometimes. We struggle to be patient with each other. Life at church is hard sometimes. We struggle to understand each other. We struggle to appreciate each other's point of view. The key thing is that God's love in Christ, in the new covenant, triumphs over the struggle. And that's where the glory is. That's where we experience the glory. And thirdly, we will experience, we will see and experience the glory of the new covenant as God builds our unity. Unity might be the single most often processed word by your search committee over the last couple months, particularly, particularly now surveys. And in a variety of ways, we're hearing from, from people in our church that there's a concern about our unity. One person wrote, we seem to be going in different directions. We seem to want different things. We struggle to understand each other. We struggle to appreciate each other. That can be a scary thing. That can make us apprehensive about the future of our church. Let's not respond with apprehension. If, we're, if we want to grow in unity, let's make it a matter of prayer, individual and corporate. And let's ask God to do a miraculous reality to work of unity among us during this time when we don't have a senior pastor. Four verses, four passages to encourage us on the issue of unity. Acts 8, 6. The crowds were paying attention with one mind to what was being said by Philip as they saw and heard the signs which he was performing. The crowds were paying attention how? with one mind. What were they paying attention to? God's word. The, Philip preaching. Let's pray to God that he would continue to unify us over God's word. That he would continue to unify us in our attention to, our study of, our devotion to, and our sharing of God's word. Second, Romans fifteen five. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. We are to be of the same mind as one another. How? According to Christ Jesus. Not generically. 
We're not to be unified generically or by some, some world standard. We're to be unified according to Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Whenever we say the word unity, we should add the phrase according to Christ Jesus. We seek to become more unified according to Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.27 Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving for the faith of the gospel. I will hear that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving for the faith of the gospel. What word just jumps off the page at me from that verse? Striving. What is striving? It's motion. It's action. It's non-stationary. It's hard to grow in unity if we're stationary. Jesus teaches us that God is always working. He's always working. He's always moving. He wants us to move with him. He wants to move us with him. And in the movement, there's the opportunity for him to, to knit us together in greater unity. Philippians 2.2, finally. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. We have one purpose. God is calling us to a purpose. He wants to move us toward that purpose. And in the movement, in us not being stationary spiritually, in reality too, but in our spiritual movement that God, is, that God will work out through us, he can bring greater unity to us. Question. How many great lakes are there? There's five. On a good day, I could name them for you. Are the Great Lakes unified? No, they're not. They're separate. They're five separate big blue blobs when you look, up, when you look at the map. But all the water in the Great Lakes that doesn't evaporate ends up in the St. Lawrence River, and then it flows into the Atlantic Ocean. The Great Lakes become unified in the Atlantic Ocean. How does that happen? Because that water is moving. God is always working. God is always moving. He wants to move us with him in the movement. He can draw us into greater unity. Now, unity uh, is somewhat of an abstract notion, right? A person like me is, is thinking, but what does it look like? Greater unity, what does it look like in reality one? For me, this is, this, is one way, this is one way that it could appear. So um, I filled out the survey that was given to us by the pastor search committee. And on the survey, I represented my point of view, what I thought would be helpful for a pastor in, in my life, in the life of my family, in the life of my church. I represented my point of view. We all did that, as we should have, as your committee is grateful for. But here's what I should do now. I'm about 60. I should find a member of my church family who's about 20, someone who I don't know very well, and I should sit down with that person and say, what did you write on that survey? What's, what's important to you in your life right now as you think about your individual life, the life of your family, the life of our church? What's on your heart over this issue of a new pastor? And... and I should take that person's input seriously. I should allow their point of view to influence my point of view. When that process runs its course, there will be a little bit more unity at RBC afterwards than there was before. 
And I think in, in the coming weeks and months, God will provide us with manifold opportunities to grow in unity as the glow of our hearts is experienced by each other, as we share his love with each other and, and we, we get serious with each other about, about what he does, what, what he has on our hearts, what he's placed on our hearts. So these verses um, provide an unlimited opportunity for application for someone like me. I'm fixated on reality one. And God is saying to me through these verses, ease up a little bit. You're a temporary resident of reality one. You are a permanent and eternal resident of reality two. I want you to be more deeply in my invisible spiritual reality. I want to relate to you more strongly. I want to speak into your life more strongly. And I want that to be more strongly reflected in your relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. There is, a, there is an unlimited horizon of opportunity for me to apply these verses to my life. Now, you may be here this morning outside of faith in Christ, and you might be thinking, I don't have a connection to reality too. That can change this morning. We would pray that that would change this morning. If you're here without Christ, our prayer is that you, you walk through the door that God has opened into eternity and you settle the question of your eternal destiny this morning by accepting what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross to forgive you of sin and, and to become a child of God. If, if that's on your heart this morning, please don't leave without talking to one of us. Uh, we're going to sing in a moment and Pastor Travis will be here at the front. You can come and speak to him. After the service, this room is full of people who would love to come alongside you and help you understand what it means to become a child of God in that invisible reality. Let's stand together if we would. We'll pray. After we pray, God will, or Scott, God through Scott, will lead us in a final hymn, and then he will close us. Heavenly Father, we lay ourselves open this morning to what you want to do in us individually and in our church in your invisible, eternal, spiritual reality. We recognize how blessed we are. We recognize what Jesus has done for us. We recognize the presence of your gift of the Holy Spirit. But Lord, you can express it more powerfully through us. And we pray that we would be open to that. We thank you that you love us. We thank you for all that you've done for us. Who is more blessed than us this morning as we are together here as family in your presence? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.